Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us on today's Asset Expert webinar, Superior Treatment Efficiency and Profitability with Invisalign with Dr. Bob Fry. Dr. Bob Fry, an Invisalign Elite Preferred Provider, has been treating Invisalign patients at his private practice since 2001. In 1977, Dr. Fry began his pri private practice in Kansas City area, and during the span of those three decades, Fry Orthodontics was awarded the highest ranking by the Kansas Award of Excellence on three separate occasions, and is the only healthcare professional to ever receive this honor. He is currently an adjunct professor at the University of Southern California and the University of the Pacific School of Dentistry. Dr. Fry remains active in research and development of advanced technologies and is an international lecturer on advanced orthodontic techniques. Dr. Fry is a graduate of the University of Missouri at Kansas City School of Dentistry and received his Master's of Science degree in Orthodontics from the University of North Carolina. So without further ado, I'll turn over the program over to Dr. Bob Fry. Dr. Fry, you now have the floor. Great. Thanks, Matt. Good morning, everyone. Uh, thanks for joining us. Isn't this a great way to come to a meeting? The last one of these, I did a cl clinical pre presentation for Invisalign. I was at home in, in my pajamas. That's probably more information than you wanted. But uh, this is a, a great way to go to a meeting, and I'm very honored that you can uh, join us this morning. Um, first thing, these are disclaimers uh, from Align Technology. Basically, I think they can disavow anything I say. Um, so I, I want to be sure that all participants understand I have no financial interest in Align Technology whatsoever. And uh, whatever honorary I receive from this is always donated to charity. Um, I don't want anyone to think that I have a dog in this hunt uh, or that I'm trying to sell you anything. Um, speaking of charities, I'd like to put in a plug for our uh, AAO Foundation. Um, please give generously. Uh, we have uh, a, a potential crisis in orthodontic education, and I would uh, encourage all of you to support uh, generously our, our foundation. I'd like to come up with a framework of, of agreement. And, uh, can we agree that Invisalign does work? Um, and something that surprised me over the past, oh, five, seven years is that uh, Invisalign is now appropriate in more cases than even I believe when I started treating Invisalign. Can we agree that Invisalign improves the quality of people's lives? According to the Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry, 75% of people believe that an unattractive smile can ruin their chances for career success. And can we agree that being profitable is not a sin? Um, I, I think sometimes we feel guilty. Uh, I am primarily a clinician, but I'm secondarily a business person. I think sometimes we feel guilty or it demeans the profession if, if we consider ourselves business people. Um, we are on a mission. In orthodontics, I am. I, I'm on a mission to give people a gorgeous smile that will last them a lifetime. And in the charitable work uh, field, there, there's a saying, if, if there's no money, there's no mission. So uh, I'm giving you permission this morning to not feel guilty about being a business person. All right, my history with Invisalign. Um, I was one of the first uh, 14 to ask to serve on the uh, Alpha Test Group in 1997. At that point, I didn't even own a computer. And they said, well, Fry, you're, the, <laughs> you're the, the classic person. If we can train you in this, we can train anybody. Um, Invisalign formed a clinical advisory board in 2005, and it's my distinct pleasure to serve with eight other clinicians on the clinical advisory board. 
and uh, at Fry Orthodontics, we've treated in excess of 1,500 cases with Invisalign. Today, we're going to talk about the 500-pound gorilla in, in the living room. I think there's some questions that perhaps all of you would like to ask, and we're going to deal primarily with these four questions, uh, things that, that uh, folks uh, would like to ask but maybe are not comfortable bringing up as being confrontational. So, looking out into the future, what do I think is going to happen with Invisalign? It is my belief that Invisalign is going to continue to gain market share. And it is my belief that those who embrace Invisalign will prosper. So, the first question we want to address, does Invisalign compromise my objectives? A very reasonable question. There is no question that Invisalign has become more predictable. Uh, my mentor at the University of North Carolina, Dr. Prophet, this year uh, gave the Angle Lecture at the AAO. And I was in the audience, and I heard him say, and I wrote it down, I, he, he said, if one is very clever, I now believe that you can get good results with Invisalign. And um, some of you may recall that Dr. Prophet was not a great supporter of Invisalign at the beginning, but uh, just to be sure, I called him, and he sent me a direct quote by email, and he stated, I now think that it is possible to get good results with Invisalign. So Invisalign truly has become much more predictable. I admire Invisalign for a lot of things, but they have spent a lot of money on R&D, a lot of new developments, precision cuts, extrusion attachments, uh, power ridges for torque. These new optimized attachments have made movements that previously were very unpredictable uh, considerably more predictable to do. And one thing we're concerned about with clinicians, with any removable appliances, will they be worn? And the, uh, the Invisalign team features now have compliance indicators. So does, does Invisalign compromise my objectives? Um, well, so in your fixed cases, if something isn't going well, you, 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 you resort to, to other, other procedures. It's the same thing in Invisalign. Um, if you've done a refinement uh, uh, and, and it's just not exactly where you want it, um, you, you may have to do some fixed appliances at the beginning or the end. I, I don't think that's any admission of, of, of anything other than a, a, a wise clinician who, uh, who sees what needs to be done and does what needs to be done. Uh, we, we do this at Fry Orthodontics. Uh, some cases we, uh, we have to start out with fixed and move to Invisalign and some we finish them up with fix. We, we don't mind that, it's just the cost of doing business. Um, the, the other thing that, uh, that, that is possible, which um, for some years was considered to be kind of a, <laughs> uh, a, a topic that nobody wanted to address, is, 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 it, is it reasonable to limit your objectives in, in cases? The dirty secret is um, all orthodontics is compromise. We compromise this for that for the other. Not every case we treat is a board case, and so we're constantly compromising this for that for the other. Uh, all orthodontics is compromise, but nobody is willing to admit it. So Dr. Vince Kokic, uh, currently the editor of the, our, our journal, uh, in 19, excuse me, in 2007, created a bit of a stir at his address at the AAO when he seemed to imply that particularly in adult cases, um, 
we, we perhaps overdiagnosed them. So I called Vince and I had a nice discussion with him. And he sent me back a text that he told me I could quote directly. Orthodontists tend to create unrealistic treatment objectives on adult patients when the patient's dental history would suggest that idealistic may not be realistic. I propose the creation of realistic objectives to overcome what truly needs to be corrected in the adult mouth. Dr. Bob Keim, editor of the JCO in 2008, opined, there are numerous situations in which we may properly treat to an optimum result as opposed to an ideal result. There is no evidence to prove that an ideal result is actually healthier. Treating to an optimum result clearly does no harm. So what would be an example of treating maybe to an optimum, not necessarily an ideal, um, an end-on-cuspid relationship? Early on in my career, I used to beat myself up over that. If I couldn't get a socked-in angles class one normal bite, but an, an end-on-cuspid relationship, uh, if, if that's the best you can get, we, we strive for angles class one, but if, if an end-on-cuspid is the best we can get because of cooperation or growth or whatever, we treat that to an ideal result. Um, in fact, the nephologists, they, they prefer an end-on-cuspid result because you, you get quicker disclusion. So the point is uh, we, we don't necessarily have to treat to an ideal when optimum will be just as good. My mentor, Dr. Prophet, in 2008 in the JCO stated, in, in all healthcare, the maximum is do no harm. In a choice of simple versus complex treatment, the patient and the practitioner may ethically make the choice to do the lesser treatment. So let's look at a case. This is a case we treated, I think, about eight years ago. And uh, Kirk came to us, uh, his general dentist had uh, recommended Invisalign to him, and, uh, and, and he was not interested in braces at all. And so the concern that I had were these two lower cuspids. Now, at that juncture, uh, those two lower cuspids were quite unpredictable to rotate. So I presented him with a fixed option on the lower for a short period of time, um, and, and he was not the least bit interested in that. And so what, what, he, what he wanted to do was says, can we just leave them the way they are? And while that's maybe not the ideal, uh, it, it was certainly not a bad result either. And that's what we decided to do. So that's where he started. That's where he finished. And we left his cuspids rotated with Invisalign. And so um, he was very happy. We had good cuspid rise. The cuspids were rotated, and uh, if, 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 I had, if I had told him, you know, Kirk's my way or the highway, we have to have those cuspids rotated, he would have gone to his general dentist and had it done there. Now, how would I treat this case differently today? Um, today, uh, with new optimized attachments, I would tell Kirk, hey, I think we got a really good shot at turning these around. Okay, so... Does Invisalign compromise your objectives? Well, I think maybe the question is, does Invisalign compromise my comfort zone? And, and we all have this comfort zone of things we know and love and cherish, and it, it's sometimes difficult to step out of that comfort zone. Next question. Why are GPs doing so much Invisalign? Well, Many of you have been to an Invisalign Summit. It's a great, great meeting uh, in Las Vegas. At the 2008 Summit, 
they, they, they always have, part of the program, a case shootout. And that is where clinicians from around the country submit cases and a panel judges them and they take the top five and, and show them at the summit and then the participants at the summit vote on which they think is the best case in, in the winter. Um, as, as a member of the clinical advisory board, I looked at these five cases and, and I would say that I think all of you today would be proud to have called them your cases. They were very, very well done. Oh, I forgot to tell you, this was five cases from the GP Summit in 2008. Now, those five cases all had one thing in common. They had gone to an orthodontist first who told them Invisalign wouldn't work for them. So why are GPs doing so much orthodontics? Well, I think a lot of times it's because we won't. Why have orthodontists been, I think, slow to embrace Invisalign? Uh, many of you may have heard of Luddites, a group of skilled craftsmen in England in the early 1800s. They, they were, uh, their, their, their careers were um, cloth weaving. And with the advent of the loom, uh, they were very threatened by this new loom and set a crowd uh, going across the country destroying these looms because they were so threatened by it. So early Luddites and Neo-Luddites, this is the way I feel about computers, sometimes they drive me crazy. So um, we're all frightened of change and some people resist it a great deal. Uh, we are uh, in a brave new world and uh, we can either shoot the computer or try our best to learn how to use it. So why are GPs doing so much in Disneyland? I think Sadly, it's because orthodontists refuse to do it, and I think the inescapable conclusion is why our GP is doing it, it's profitable. All right, third question. Why should I pay Invisalign's lab bill when I can talk folks into braces? And there are some practice management consultants out there who are telling uh, their clients to uh, perhaps not do so much in Invisalign because you're not running at full capacity in your office, and why pay that lab bill? I submit to you that's penny-wise and pound-foolish. Let me tell you why. There is some good news in the orthodontic marketplace, but th there is more bad news, and the temptation is thinking, okay, I've got to cut corners anywhere I can. I've got to save cost. Okay, so basically... People come to us, we have advertised that we're Invisalign providers. They come to us and what they want is Invisalign. And many times we do what's called a bait and switch. And we'll say, well, you could do Invisalign, but uh, you know, I, I really don't think that's what's best for you. And when, when my son joined the practice and then we have another, uh, another young lady associate, both marvelous people, they didn't grow up and they didn't have the comfort level with Invisalign. So three or four years ago, um, I, I, I noticed that our numbers of Invisalign starts went way down. Uh, and, and so I'm having this conversation with my son, and he says, Dad, you know what? <laughs> he says, I, I don't have any problem talking people out of Invisalign and into braces. It's just real easy to do. And then I, I started studying this a good bit further, and I found out a lot of those people that he thought he talked out of Invisalign and into braces actually canceled 
and went somewhere else to get Invisalign. Uh, we found that our calls from people requesting Invisalign decreased dramatically. Uh, we were the, the largest provider for many years in the Midwest. We dropped to sixth. And, and so as, as my associates got comfortable, more comfortable with Invisalign, they realized that by not embracing the Invisalign technology and not getting out of their comfort zone was actually costing us business. People were going elsewhere. We, we have now turned that around. We're back number one, and uh, it, it took some work, but we now with great confidence and great pride say that we're the largest provider of Invisalign in the Midwest. So, all right, Fry, uh, all great theories. Is there any hard evidence of what you say, that Invisalign is, in fact, uh, profitable? Let me, let me talk to you about a concept called uh, income per unit. Uh, this is taking the total fee for a case divided by the number of units it takes to treat the case. So, for example, if you have a $5,000 fee and it takes you 100 units, in our office um, a unit is 10 minutes. So that's $50 a unit, or you generate $5 of revenue for every minute the patient is in your office. And it's, it's just a benchmark. Um, it, it's not a true profitability, profitability study, but it'll give you some a barometer to indicate if if you're being profitable and efficient. So, I tell my associates anything we can hit over fifty dollars a unit is is uh, is quite good. And I would encourage you in your own practices. You have specific protocols you do. I would encourage you to take the next thirty cases and do a good analysis based on this to see how profitable you are. In 2003, I decided to do a case analysis on eight different protocols. And these, we, we took 30 consecutively treated cases and we found these income per units. What absolutely was amazing to me was that the Invisalign was generating $110 per unit. Now, I know what you're thinking, well, but that's not taking into account the, the lab fee and all that sort of stuff. Well, we, in our analysis, we took out the cost of the lab fee and, and we took out the cost of a self-ligating appliance in studying these other treatment protocols and found that in this line, we were generating $110 per unit um, for Invisalign cases as opposed to these other, other treatment protocols we do couple of other interesting things. Where were we most profitable? I found this interesting. Adults seem to be more profitable than children. And um, I, I was quite surprised about that. And that has continued to be true over time. And uh, I think there's a number of reasons for that. But we find in our practice, adult cases are the most profitable ones we treat. Where do we lose money? Well, transfers and impacted cuspids. Makes sense. Nobody likes transfer cases and impacted cuspids. You certainly earn your keep. What are some of the other things we found uh, with our study in 2003? Makes sense that we found fewer emergencies, but by a factor of 16, 16 times fewer emergencies with our Invisalign cases. And this did not factor in our financial analysis. 
this, this was an aside, another benefit. We found fewer cases over treatment. In other words, our Invisalign cases were very predictable from what we projected to the patient when we started, how long it would take to treat them. Um, and and we, we found that Invisalign was sl sl only slightly over uh, what we projected. Now, this is in 2003. Now, a lot of that was the fault. You're saying, oh, my gosh, your fixed cases were 3.7 months over your original estimate. I think that's one of the benefits of you going and doing a thorough analysis of your cases. What you think is happening may not be, and that was the case for us. We now have worked very hard with our staff and have that 3.7 months down to it's just slightly like 0.2 months over what we estimate. This one was really interesting to me. We found fewer failed appointments by a factor of five. Now, I'm not entirely certain why that is, but my theory is that when a patient comes in for an orthodontic adjustment, that they, they really have difficulty understanding the correlation between going from an 014 wire to a, to a 2020 BioForce wire they, they, they can't correlate with why that relates to progress. Where within our, our Invisalign cases, I think it's very clear to them that if they don't keep this appointment, that their, their ultimate objective, which is to be done with fry orthodontics, is, is not likely to happen. So we found much fewer failed appointments uh, with Invisalign. We then further did our study and decided, okay, what, what would be a reasonable pricing strategy? In other words, where could we break even uh, from a profitability standpoint? And we came to the conclusion that we probably were charging too much for Invisalign. Many of us, myself included, when we first started Invisalign, if it was a $5,000 case, we would just add on the cost of the Invisalign lab bill. So. Instead of $5,000, it would be 6400 And um, orthodontics is, is cost sensitive. It's price sensitive. People have a, a vision in their mind what they're willing to spend to get their teeth straight. So we, we did a, a fairly nice, what I think, analysis and found out that, that the break-even price for Invisalign was about a premium of $200. So we, we felt like if, if we charged a $200 premium, our income per unit revenue would be about what it was for fixed. So we carried it one step farther. We decided, okay, we want to position ourselves. We want to be the, have, try to gain a market niche. We wanted to be the place to go to in the Kansas City area. So for one year, we lowered our price of Invisalign to exactly the same thing as fixed. And... We, uh, cases came through the door like crazy, proving to me that, that it is price sensitive. So we did that for a year, and, and think, I think what we did was to kind of establish ourselves as the place to go in the Kansas City area. We have now played with our, our, our pricing structure, and we now add about $500 to the cost of a normal fixed case to Invisalign, and that may change due to market conditions but we're always experimenting with that, with that number. Okay, so that was what we found um, uh, in 2003. 
does this ring true for other practices? Well, I've presented this information several times since 2003 to study clubs and in national meetings and so forth. And, and I've had a number of people who've, who've taken the challenge, gone home and done a 30-case survey, and have announced that, that their information rung true with what mine found, almost within dollars of what my numbers were. So it seems to be accurate not only for Fry orthodontics, but for other practices as well. All right, was this a one-time fluke? Does this information ring true over time? We redid our study in 2006. These are the numbers from 2006. Recall that our Invisalign uh, cases were generating $110 per unit in 2003. Now, we were doing much more difficult cases in 2006, and I was surprised to find that our income per unit went up when we did the same study in 2006. It increased to $124 a unit. Very pleased about that. This is the number that blew me away. When we found out that our teens were without question the most profitable thing we were doing at Fry Orthodontics, it really surprised me. Now, it shouldn't have because we, we were advocates of teen orthodontics a long time ago. In fact, the first two studies about teens in Invisalign were done in our office, and uh, Andy Trojan and I wrote the chapter for Orhan's book on teen treatment. So it should have come as no surprise to me because our teen treatment cases were going very, very well. So a teen case, obviously a very, very easy case, nothing too dramatic and treated out in nine months, took 20 units, and our income per unit was $300. Obviously a very profitable situation for us. Now, as orthodontists, if we're not willing to do this, if we don't openly embrace and encourage people to come to our offices for Invisalign, guess who's going to do these? It's the GPs. Okay. What other proof do I have that Invisalign will make your practice more profitable? Bud Schulman, may he rest in peace, a great gentleman, formed a study club called the Schulman Study Club about 25 years ago. And the Schulman Study Club is supposedly 25 of the larger practices in the country. And uh, they keep statistics on a lot of different things. We're required to be a member of the group, as a member of the group, to submit a lot of different statistical analysis on our practice. And, and they, they do a very thorough job of analyzing a number of issues uh, relative to orthodontics uh, practice efficiency. So they, they take an average of the group statistics, and then they also have information on the top 10 of that group of 125. So in, in the hundred, group of 125, the, the 13 most profitable, that's just by net income, are analyzed separately and compared to the other 25, 125 practices in the group to find out what differences there might be. A very interesting thing to do. They found several different things in comparing the top 10 and top 10% in the Schulman group. They found that the Schulman group had a significantly higher percentage of adults in their practice. Recall 
in, in, in my study is of 2003 and 2006, the adults were the most profitable thing we do at Fry Orthodontics. And that rings true today. And that the, the, the top 10%, the most profitable folks in the Invisalign group, had a significantly higher percent of Invisalign. Now, practice management people are telling us to go out and do less Invisalign people, not all of them, but some, when the statistics from the Schulman group would seem to indicate that exactly the opposite should be the case. Okay, let's talk about financing. At the Schulman group, they, they study financing a lot. How, how, do, how do people finance things? How does the group finance their cases? How does the top 10 finance their cases? The top 10% of the most profitable practices in the Schulman group had a much higher rate of delinquency. Now, wait a minute. You're sitting there scratching your head wait a minute. That doesn't make any sense. A lot of practice management consultants will tell us, oh, that's a bad thing. Delinquency is a bad thing. But the top 10% has apparently figured out that they start more cases and they're, in fact, more profitable if they make the, the monthly payments more affordable to people. In other words, if you have a 20-month case, you may spread the payment out over a longer period of time even though you know you're going to be true. Well, but golly, you know, a lot of people... We're finishing 12 months and they still have 10 a year to pay, they'll stiff us. You know what? Some of them do. Most of them don't, but some of them do. That's just the cost of doing business. And if, if you're willing to just accept that mentally and emotionally, which some of us can't do, your, your practice will be much more profitable. And just accept that you're going to get stiffed in some of these cases if you extend the payments out over a longer period of time. One other thing about financing. A good friend of mine that does a lot of Invisalign, did a lot of Invisalign, and his Invisalign, his Invisalign cases started dropping off like crazy. And, uh, and so I'm visiting his office, and he says, you know, I'm really puzzled about this, uh, why my Invisalign cases have dropped off so dramatically. And so we got to talking about it, and I says, I said, well, John, how, how are you financing this thing? He says, well, what I do uh, now is, is I just I add the Invisalign lab fee onto the cost of the braces, and, 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 uh, and, and I, I uh, actually ask for $2,000 up front. And I said, oh, my, um, that's why your Invisalign cases have dropped off. Uh, and he says, well... But you know, I, I, I've had I've had a, I had a case recently where I, I submitted this thing and uh, submitted the case and had to pay Invisalign's lab bill fifteen sixteen hundred dollars, and then the patient didn't show up. They dropped treatment, and I got stuck with that lab bill. And I said, Well, yeah, same things happen to me. It doesn't happen often. It's happened I think twice, maybe three times in the fifteen hundred cases we treated. And I said, John, that's just the cost of doing business. Uh, and you're, emotionally, it kills kills us to think that somebody would just walk away and you got stuck with a $1,500 lab bill. But emotionally, if you can accept the fact, okay, you know, that's a risk I'm going to take. And so I encouraged him to, to drop his down payment to something more reasonable. 
and not surprisingly, he called me a couple of weeks and said, yep, you were right, my Invisalign business is back up where it was before. One thing I'm absolutely certain of is we are in the age of consumerism. People come to us knowing what they want. They pretty well have their mind made up. They've researched our practices on, on the Internet. They've researched Invisalign on the Internet. They know what they want, and they're going to keep looking until they get it. So Henry Ford once told us, you can have a Model T Ford in any color you want as long as it's black. Well, Chrysler, Ford, Chrysler came into being and created cars that had colors, and Chrysler took over the market. Today, I think we're in a Starbucks generation. Or you can go into a Starbucks store, and you can say, I want a little of this, I want a little of that, light on this, and a little arsenic for my spouse, <laughs> and you can probably get it. So we're in an age of consumerism. Uh, consumers know what they want, and they're going to keep looking for it until they get it. A number of studies have indicated that any new medical procedure, any new medical device, takes almost 17 years to fully integrate into the profession. Well, since Invisalign first went public in 2001, we're about into a 10 years. So my original thesis is that Invisalign is going to increase continually its market share, I think is correct. More and more Invisalign cases are going to be treated. And let's admit it, anytime we change anything in our office, whether we want to go to self-ligation, whether we want to change to fixed functionals or move out of fixed functionals, it can be a challenge. And we have to just understand that and embrace it. So if, if you're currently not doing a lot of Invisalign and you don't have your systems in place, you don't have systems in place to manage uh, this change, I'm going to encourage you, hang in there uh, and just don't give up. Commit to the next 30 patients that come in and wanting Invisalign, give it to them and learn how to make the system work. There is that point in every baby's life where it is, quite frankly, much more efficient to crawl than it is to learn how to walk. My 12-month-old grandson is, is just in that stage. He's just now figuring out how to get up on his feet, but when he really wants to get someplace quick, he hops down on his little knees and he walks or he crawls. So the point is we have to learn how to get out of the crawl stage and, and it takes some time and effort, even though we're very happy and very comfortable in the environment we're in now, to learn how to get up and walk, you'll find be much more efficient. So doing a lot of Invisalign, yeah, there's a learning curve. Uh, I have two chairs set up in my operatory just primarily for Invisalign, and they're set up with, with all the stuff we need there, and we have good systems in place. And so, uh, you know, we, we have a fairly large Invisalign practice. And there is a learning curve, getting your systems in place, getting staff-oriented um, to do this. But it, it's, uh, it, it's certainly well worth it. I'm going to encourage you not to dabble. Uh, whether you're changing appliances or whether you're trying to learn how to do Invisalign, don't do a couple of cases. Um, they, they'll show up at 3.30 on a busy afternoon, and, and, um, and you'll be frustrated. If, if you're going to make the commitment, jump in and do it. So here's the conclusions. I think Invisalign will make your practices more profitable, 
I think Invisalign will increase market share for orthodontists if we embrace it. It will increase the amount of orthodontics we can do if the orthodontic profession will embrace it to a higher degree. And the bottom line of all bottom lines is I am absolutely convinced that Invisalign improves the quality of life of our patients. There are some patients who will not do fixed appliances, even lingual appliances. And I think with Invisalign, we have the potential of improving the quality of life for our patients, which is what we all want and why we went into this profession. Um, some of you may have heard of Andres Thomas. Uh, Andres Thomas was a Hungarian dissident who uh, was put into a, a Soviet isolation ward in 1947. And... Uh, he was locked in that prison until the year 2000, a small cubicle, about um, 100 square feet, very, very small, Isolary, isolation, solitary confinement for 53 years, 53 years in solitary confinement. Now, I pose this question to you. What was the first thing he asked for when he was released from prison? Well, you would think a toothbrush, a pizza, uh, a beer, who knows? No, the first thing he asked for was a mirror. Isn't that interesting? Andres Thomas had not looked at himself in a mirror for 53 years. It was important to him to have a visual concept of himself as a human being. The point I'm trying to make is, let's all be real grateful for the profession we're in where we can give something to someone that will last them a lifetime and improve the quality of their life. So, these are this is my email and my website. Please feel free to contact me. I will be happy to try to answer. I want to thank Dr. Fry again for a great presentation, and we look forward to see you on another Ask the Expert webinar. Thank you very much.